that's an absolute paradigm shift where you come to a vision of rather than fighting over spectrum for pure monetization of it to actually use this scarce resource to its best effect to bring services that make a difference to people and lives. Hey Space Watchers, this is Space Cafe Radio, your channel about trends, great people and awesome conferences. My guest is Anne Vandenbroek, the Chief Regulatory Officer of Rivada Space Networks. We spoke about the current milestones of Rivada satellite filings, the challenges in regulation and about frequencies as resources. I'm Thorsten, publisher of Spacewatch.global. This episode is supported by Rivada Space Networks. Enjoy our conversation. A few months ago, in September 22, you joined one of the most exciting satellite communication constellation startups and that after an absolute outstanding career in the leading satellite operator, so like Inmarsat or Wanti, why this new challenge? I guess, Thorsten, first of all, thank you for having me on your Space Cafe talk. I'm a great fan of it and I feel a bit humbled, but also very proud to take part in it. Yeah, I guess I'm the kind of woman that needs a challenge <laughs> to give a bit of a ventilation to the fire I have in my belly. I've been passionate my whole life about being on the cusp of where technological excellence meets with international law. And Rivada absolutely hit the sweet spot. It mixes several topics that are super important to me, which is being a constitutional lawyer, is where tech for good can be realized and where NGSO finally can deliver the promises it has made to the satellite world. Satellite industry is very much booming. If you need a challenge, that is the place to be. And I guess what really clinched it was how can you refuse an invitation from somebody like Clemens Kaiser to join a herd of graybacks. Okay. It's, yeah, uh, it's what I, he said. I did, he said... I didn't want to go in, into <laughs> that, but I hear you. But why Rivada? So what makes them special? What makes them unique? It's exactly that. You know, I, I came to a point in my life where I've been around the world in a suitcase 20 times. And if you do international space law and you do TU regulatory matters, that you're going to have a transient life in hotel rooms. And what makes you tick at the end of the day is to have an interesting job, but also with interesting people. And when we had a major roundup meeting last, Clement said, this is probably one of the most stressful meetings in satellite industry. And look at it. Nobody's shouting. Nobody's crying. So you're there with a number of people on top of their game, all giving their best and contributing equally, feeling like complementary team, not doubting each other. And that is what sets Rivada apart. Of course, we can talk about its unique technology, but actually the opportunity to bring everything, all the baggage I collected during my lifetime experience, all the contacts I made to bring that together as part of this team of Greybacks to realize the unique system Rivada is. Yes, that's a challenge I didn't want to pass. But it sounds that you will be back in the life of staying in hotel rooms, negotiating all night and having the ITU fun, correct? 
That's absolutely correct. And that's why it needs a worthy cause. And that's Rivada. Let's talk about ITU. In many talks with the ITU, we see that based on their geo regime, they have also put in place a very stringent regime for LEO or NGSO. Let's talk about your filing and your milestones. We covered the past in previous interviews with Declan Ganley and Severin Meister, but maybe you can connect the dots to the current status. That's a pleasure. It's what I live and breathe these days. It's true that the ITU has put rightfully a framework of milestones in place, but that framework does allow a relaxation of the first milestone for a number of qualifying systems. And Rivara is one of the systems that qualifies for that. So the milestones are that after a number of years, you have to have 10% of your constellation up. For Rivara, by 2026, you need to have 50% up. And number 2028, 100% of your constellation. But for the first milestone, we qualify for a relaxation, a waiver. And that's what we will apply for. Now, this waiver is a question of asking for permission rather than asking for forgiveness. We qualify for whatever the word waiver sometimes has mm -hmm. a connotation of you need to beg on your knees for an exception but this is not that kind of waiver it's a relaxation you're allowed to apply for yes what is exceptional here is the deadlines are so tight that these deadlines are starting to drive the time frame for freezing the design of the satellites driving the timing for awarding contracts and i must say You know, once the um, existential importance of keeping these deadlines were clear to Rivara, the engineers were at the last meeting, one in desperation said, Anne, do you know what you're doing to us? And I say, I know it full well, but you're doing it so well too. So the whole company is as one really working to make these deadlines and they will. So be prepared for more announcements. It's a question of actually planning well, mm -hmm. and then not only planning well, but also executing well. And what from Rivada, from the Greybacks, they are not only very good at dreaming up super technology, they are also very good at implementing this against a time frame. But what does it mean concrete? On your website, you're very transparent with your milestone, what I think is absolutely great, and I haven't seen it anywhere else. And it shows at the moment that the 10th of June next year, you have to have 28 satellites in space, the 10% you talked about, and that will shift to the right. That's not exactly, exa that would be asking for a change. So mm -hmm. what the milestone process says is that you can be waived from having these first 10% of your satellites up, provided You, Rivada, can show it has a manufacturing contract, a launch contract, done coordination, and with a time frame and a schedule to meet the milestone too. So we do not need those 28 in next year. 142 plus 28. Correct, 300 in 2026. Oh, yes. provided we now show we have a construction and a launch and launch contracts with schedules that allow us to meet the 2026 timeframe. And we will provide that. And the deadline to show this evidence to the ITU and to the Radio Regulatory Board, that's the deadline we have agreed with ITU is March. Are there any risks involved? Um, Asking for a waiver can 
get you an answer that you don't like. So is that a risk? Usually the risks are commensurate with the project and going to the radio regulatory board is not something anybody does lightly. But that's the process. We've done it before. We contacted the key experts We and we're going to meticulously follow the process. The process is there. And as you, if an ITU process is clear, you have a good case, then the ITU process works. I think a bit of your own experience will help to lead you through this process. Thank you for that. But it's a team effort. The whole company needs to be behind it because I'm just the lawyer, the advocate going with the case to the ITU. But the content of it, having signed manufacturing contracts, that's the engineers are right. That's the real difficulty. If someone says to me, I'm just a lawyer, I'm very scared, I can tell you. That's a sentence that gives me some goosebumps. <laughs> Let's move on. One of the statements we can hear from Rewater Space Networks is being a responsible operator. What does it mean in terms of space sustainability or responsibility? Can you help me with that? I love this question and particularly love it from from you, Torsten, because I know it's also a subject that's close to your heart. Made the comparison yourself in one of your podcasts saying, we polluted the oceans, let's not pollute the outer space. And you're absolutely right. If you look at the origins of the company, being a green operator and having respect for outer space is very much one of the core values of the company, actually. And if you look at, again, at the chief program officer, Clement Kaiser, It's his background published about that. So, of course, any program he's in charge of is going to pay a lot of attention to that. And we do. What we see now is that there's a little bit of a vacuum in international law when it comes to that. And what happens with a vacuum in international law? That's the thing to be really scared of. It gets filled. And you want this not to be filled for where competition issues creep in, where it becomes a debate between NGSO and GSO. It's not. This is a common good. This is about responsible operators versus non-responsible operators, responsible states versus non-responsible states. And my view is that it's time that this vacuum gets filled at the international level with best practices, with updated legislation for peaceful use of outer space, rather than by each and every country, including in the market access conditions for NGSO, some conditions related to responsible use or the orbiting, really. The orbiting is, is one part of it, but there's other parts of this space situation awareness. So when it comes to safely the orbiting, Rivada is definitely has put on it. It's part of the design of the spacecraft that they can be safely deorbited in a very short space of time, because ultimately it's a self-interest too. You don't want the Kepler effect to take to be there and that there are really orbits that become unusable. Can you give me some more concrete measures that you take in that area? Because as you mentioned before, we are quite deep in this area of space situation awareness, space environmentalism and engaged. So I would like to hear something more about you and your responsibility. 
will put in. The orbiting is one. We have the long-term sustainability guidelines agreed by consensus at the at UN Copios a few years back, but it's still lagging the implementation in many countries. We have countries with auto space law. We have countries which doesn't even have an actual current space policy. So whatever you can try to be responsible might not fall on fertile ground. How to bridge that? I guess it's as often when it comes to international law, it's not a question of fusing to implement. It's a question of not knowing about it. So point number one, as you can expect, is when we go around the world, this is one of our important messages. Don't invent the wheel. There is legislation and there's frameworks out there which you can readily implement. So this is a capacity building exercise. And if you look at the last Plenipot, they adopted very much a resolution that speaks towards international organizations like the I2, like UNCPOS, to work together on capacity building. And we have, immediately at Plenipot itself already, we have approached those organizations to say, please, Rivara is absolutely happy and very keen even to play a part in the capacity building. So that's the first thing. It's regulatory actions to promote those frameworks, which we easily abide by. And then it's also pushing the envelope a bit to say, we can do even better than these guidelines. So countries, if you look at, at measures, don't put the bar too low. And then the third thing is to put our money where our mouth is. And it's actually do ourselves what we preach, which is have our spacecraft being capable of abiding by those rules, primarily having the inbuilt system for it to be deorbited quite quickly. Let's have a look a bit more on the technology and the, the business goals. You're aiming for a very high, secure space networks. That is a market where a few very prominent actors are active already. OneWeb and now Starlink with Starshield. On the other hand, Europe is looking for more autonomy in this area with the Iris 2 now confirmed the secure connectivity constellation. And you openly in one of your press releases said you're bidding for that. Can you evaluate this market and your positioning? This is a main major opportunity. And I'm sure Rivada is absolutely well placed to participate in it. It's a very natural fit, particularly with the European system, which now it becomes real. So one of the reasons why it is a unique fit is because out of the total budget of 17 billion of ESA, Germany has pledged 4 billion out of it. So it's the major contributor to the development program. And of course, there's a tight link between ESA and the European program. So being based in Germany and having the government behind this is a very important factor. Then the second element is that the systems you name, they are, they are already a little bit old technology, even in new space. While we will be very uniquely placed. The weak point in all those systems is that ultimately they are bent pipe and they have a very substantial ground segment, which is the weak point in any secure system. This is very different from Rivada. It has inter-satellite links, laser links, and it also has a technology where every terminal is a node on the network, does away with the need for a traditional ground segment, making it from a technology point of view far more secure than any other system there is. And then the other thing is 
of course, living in the UK, I see every day what the outfall is of the UK having left the EU. But one web is a UK system, even when it goes together with Utilsat, while Rivada being German-based is 100% EU-based, which qualifies it from a geo point of view, I guess. Now, Rivada is an international system. And of course, it has two filings, so it has a lot of flexibility to organize itself and organize its constellation. So it has a part that plays fully into the European system, while it can then still have, doesn't preclude it from providing secure communication to other governments or other users in the world, which I guess is also a, a quite unique position. We can be both. And then thirdly, why it is a fit is it's because we are doing that already. We don't need to turn ourselves in twists and bends. It is what I say, a natural fit. It's what we do anyway, or the services we plan for anyway. Thank you for that summary. I would like to use this chance having you in this talk as an, really as an outstanding expert in regulation. Would you mind to share with us some thoughts about future of regulation in the light of the scarcity of frequencies, the rise in the numbers of actors, the growing demand and for services like you just described before. So where are we heading and what would be on your wish list? Thank you, Torsten. I nearly was in this false sense of security of what a cozy interview this was. And then you go and press a button, say spectrum scarcity. To answer the question, I'm a firm believer in fairness and fair access to spectrum. So when I saw at one last WRC, the very, very aggressive message about spectrum scarcity from 5G operators who had already like the majority of the spectrum were going after the only lot of harmonized spectrum left while they had won at auction lots and lots of spectrum for 3G and 4G, which they have left unused. It really fired me up for because it seemed to me like there was a camp that was going after spectrum that had the potential to bring the first means of communication in favor of a sixth means of communication for people who already had five. I guess what I would like the international regulation and the frameworks to move to is, as I said before, first of all, sustainability of space. But when it comes to spectrum, things may change now that we're going for a converged world where you see that terrestrial and space systems start to talk to each other and you have, oh, all we need is our mobile, but it should work over a satellite network. And that's really sincerely hope that's an absolute paradigm shift where you come to a vision of rather than fighting over spectrum for pure monetization of it to actually use this scarce resource to its best effect to bring services that make a difference to people and lives. You also see in this converged world that you see it, first of all, in, in the satellite world itself, where NGSO systems say we need to also have an NGSO component to our network that all the major operators for Rivada itself and for our own policy positioning, we definitely will come from the point of view that we want to be part of a converged world with definitely with other satellite systems and who knows, with terrestrial systems. 
And let me ask you one final question that brings it together. So if you would do the 90 second elevator pitch to someone, why Rivada? What is it? I would say that Rivada is different. And I would say that Rivada is honest because a lot of systems have started their story by saying we will connect the unconnected. And that's not exactly what Rivada is saying, even though ultimately they may connect the unconnected more than some of the systems for which it's their slogan. Because of its uniqueness, it's very attractive for users in oil and gas, governments, the paying customers. Rivada goes about it the right way because it has a unique concept to leverage of the sustainability of the system which is created by the business and the government customers to put spare capacity on a platform, a bit like eBay or like in the electricity world. It's a very, very disruptive business model, actually because allowing on a platform for everybody who's interested in capacity to in a very transparent way have access to it means that its promise and its ability to appeal to local entrepreneurs to pick up this gold dust of satellite capacity and capability and then initiate or provide services to connect people in areas where it's not that obvious to have terrestrial connectivity or in areas where other satellite services are not necessarily affordable. I think if I give the elevator pitch, it's watch this space for Rivada. Yeah, it's a long elevator pitch. I wish you and the entire team of Rivada all the best for the next milestones and the ongoing RFP and all of the things, all of the goals you have on your list. Thank you very much for your time, Anne. What was a great interview. Really liked that. Thank you, Thorsten. There's a lot that resonated with me and gave me further thinking. I'd like to thank Anne for her time and the entire team at Rivada Space Networks, Melanie and Anna, that made the Space Cafe Radio possible. If you want to stay on the pulse of the space industry, please visit our website at www.spacewatch.global and subscribe to our newsletters. And of course, don't forget to become a Space Watcher. I'm Thorsten Kreening, publisher at spacewatch.global, your independent perspective on space. <laughs>